Welcome to the Sobriety Diaries, friends. My name is Nate. I am a grateful recovering alcoholic and sober coach. My addiction has shaped the person I am today and given me the ability and voice to help others. And I simply wouldn't be here without it. Recovery is possible. The Sobriety Diaries is a video podcast where we share powerful stories of recovery told by those who live them. Head over to the sobrietydiaries.com where you can apply to be a guest on the show and also join our insiders list for exclusive content, early release episodes, and much more. Also, please share this podcast with just one person in your life who may still be struggling. You just never know what they may need to hear today. Happy Sober Day, friends. Thank you so much for downloading today's episode and spending time with me here on the Sobriety Diaries. Our recovery community continues to grow, and I couldn't be more grateful that you are a part of it and that you continue to tune in and download episodes. It is truly appreciated, and it really keeps me going. So thank you so much for that. Uh, If you want to join uh, our community, you can head over to Instagram at the Sobriety Diaries pod. I also host a room on Clubhouse every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern time. And it is a open, safe space where all are welcome. You can find the information in today's show notes and at the sobrietydiaries.com. But on to today. We are talking to Jack and he is sharing such an important story and perspective and something new here on the podcast. Jack is 18 years old. He grew up with an alcoholic mother and is really able to articulate and speak to the perspective of a child with an alcoholic parent. He is so well-spoken and wise beyond his years, open with his story. And I just think that it is such an important viewpoint to share and a very powerful message. So let's open the diary on Jack. Jack, thank you so much for joining us on the Sobriety Diaries today. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. It's it's a pleasure. It's an honor. And uh, I'm really glad that you gave me the opportunity to talk today. I am so excited to to hear your story and, and talk about addiction and alcoholism from this point of view. I think it is super important and something that I've wanted to do on the podcast for a long time. So I think it just seemed like divine intervention when when you reached out on Instagram. So welcome. Uh, yeah, I've got thanks. a lot of questions. Appreciate and, it. Yeah, let's um, let's kind of just jump into your story and what brought us together today, and how you have been affected by addiction. I'm Jack Hassone. I'm from New Jersey originally. Um, I grew up from the ages of I want to say from when I was born to when I was six in a pretty in a pretty normal house. There wasn't anything that was too crazy. Um, Everything was pretty normal. I had a I had a loving mother, I had a loving father, and I had a loving brother. And um, you know, thank God for all that. And I had a pretty a pretty stable, uh, really early childhood. And um, by the age of, I want to say five, I moved to South Florida, and 
I started to notice that my my family's relationship was starting to go a little bit in in a weird direction in terms of my mom was starting to leave um, every week or so to go to New Jersey. And I was and I was eight years old and I was like, well, why? You know, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, She's married to my dad. She doesn't have any work up there. And so I was like, well, you know, why is my mom going up to New Jersey? And my dad would kind of play it off and. I was eight, so he didn't really want to tell me what was going on. Right. But what, what I later found out was that my dad and my mom were were separated. They, they were in a like a together separate relationship. I'm not really an open relationship. I'm not entire I think that's the term for it. Yeah. Yeah. Within a year, um, we had taken a vacation up to New Jersey in winter and they got a divorce. And I remember at the time that was like the hardest thing. To handle it was like the biggest deal in my life i was yeah. like how am i going to be able to handle my, my parents getting divorced i was i was like distraught i was like i was nine years old yeah and i i thought it was the end of my life i was I 10 it. the same thing happened to me and i remember thinking it yeah there's nothing <laughs> you know, worse in this yeah, world you know, yeah yeah you know exactly i mean you know you love your parents and you never want to see them you never you never want to see your parents with anybody else and so it's really hard when your parents get divorced, you're like, man, I want to see my parents together. Oh, my family stay together. Yeah. And at the time, you know, you're nine years old, you think it's the worst thing ever. My mom had met um, an, another boyfriend. So when she was going up to New Jersey originally for those week periods, she was seeing a boyfriend. When I was, you know, in my early life, I never saw my mom under the influence of alcohol. I never saw my mom under the influence of substances in general. Um. And, you know, it's really, I want to say, at least from my perspective, from someone who's been through it so much, you can tell when someone's under the influence of any kind of substance. I can get, I can get immediately, I know if you've been drinking, I know if you, you know, and so my mom, when I went from the ages of zero to seven, looking back on it, I never got any sort of, any sort of vibe that she was an alcoholic or a substance abuser or anything like that. But when I was, I want to say around nine years old, I started to just notice a difference. So when my father and my mom got divorced, when they, when we were on that vacation up in New Jersey, she stayed to live in New Jersey. And my dad basically said, well, listen, I want to try to keep this family together. So I'm going to move my brother and I, we're going to all move to New Jersey and we're going to stay in separate houses because I want to keep you guys near your mom. And so. I lived in New Jersey for about eight months again um, in an attempt to try to keep our family together and whatnot. My mom had met this another boyfriend named Dylan. So one week with them, one week with my dad, one week with them, one week with my dad. And I started to notice that D- Dylan was a heavy drinker too. Uh, my mom is starting to act different. You start to notice it, I want to say, as you get older. And after the seven months I lived in New Jersey, my dad, my brother, and I, we took a trip down to Florida. Uh, I think it was during spring break or during summer break. One of them. I can't remember exactly. And basically my brother and I were like, we want to stay in Florida. We don't want to go back to New Jersey. There's nothing for us up there anymore. So we want to go to Florida and we want to move back here. You know, it it all happened within a year period, all this. And you're not, you know, you're still 10 or nine. You're not really thinking about anything that crazy. Uh, But I, I stopped seeing my mom at this time. I maybe saw her once. I, I don't remember seeing her often at all. I maybe saw her once in two months. You know, How much I mean, older is your brother than you? Four years older than me. So he's 22. 
at this point, my mom was like, you know what? Uh, I'm going to move back down to Florida and start to get a relationship with my kids again. And so she moved um, Dylan herself and the two daughters down to a place called Lake Worth down in South Florida, which is about 20 minutes south of where I lived in Jupiter at the time. And so I was in fifth grade at a school really close to me. And my brother was in ninth grade at a high school uh, called the Benjamin School. Which Were you excited that she was coming back to Florida and you were going to be like, having yeah, a relationship I mean, again? Obviously, obviously, yeah. because, you know, again, this was only, like I said, I lived in New Jersey for seven months. And then within the next five months, I was already in this house in Jupiter and she already had moved to Lake Worth. So within a year, you know, a lot of stuff had already happened. Yeah. And I didn't really notice uh, her, her alcohol problems that much. Um, you know, later I found out that they existed at this time, but I didn't really notice anything that much. And so she was living down in Lake Worth and I was living up in Jupiter. And so we spent a week on a week off. Um, stuff got downhill really fast. Um, there was a lot of alcohol. Uh, my mom started to act different. Uh, the house didn't have a lot of food. Um, the house wasn't in good shape. It was messy. We, my mom didn't work. I want to say there was a lot of stress on my brother and I, uh, it was difficult because you see your mom and you're too young to fully understand what's going on, but you see her start to act different. You see my brother start to have some issues and start to be affected by it. Cause he's older and he can kind of sense what's going on in a better sense. And so they had uh, a lot of substance abuse issues. Um, there was cocaine in the house, uh, plenty of cocaine going on, which I later found out about. Um, but my mom was a completely different woman at this time. And so I remember one night I got a call when I was in the driveway of my house up in Jupiter with my father and my brother that um, your mom is going to rehab and she has a problem with substances and I remember being like, wow, you know, my mom is really going to rehab. She's really addicted to alcohol and she's really addicted to drugs. We had to go back to her for a week. And so she drove us when she was going to rehab. She drove us back to our house in uh, Jupiter, very drunk. Mm. She drove us very drunk. And uh, I don't remember the exact specifics of it. I remember being scared, but I remember she was very drunk driving us. There's something about um having a parent that you love them so much that you don't want to see anything bad happen to them but when there's a gradual month after month week after week day after day just it's like they they get degraded yeah day after day they they just keep falling down the wrong path and it gets worse day after day and week after week and you start to see them fall and stumble and fall and to a point where after a year and a half which is this has only been a year and a half two years since when i started um, of me living in New Jersey, she was a completely different woman. Uh, I didn't, I didn't know who my mother was anymore at this point. The next day she got up and she went to the door and I was like, well, you know, I, hopefully I see you soon. I want you to get better. And she said, I love you, Jack. Uh, don't worry. I'll be home soon and whatnot. And uh, that was it. I didn't see her for a year and a half, two years. Now, when she left, were you emotional or were you kind of already like detached from the whole situation? I was, I was emotional. Um, yeah. I was emotional at this point. I'm still in fifth grade. I'm going into sixth grade. I was, I was emotional. 
Um, it was hard for my family. My family didn't take it well at all. Um, my dad and my brother didn't take it well at all. And it was difficult for us. You know, I didn't understand fully about yeah. addiction. I didn't understand, you know, I'm 10 years old or fifth grade, you know, you don't understand the full, how, what alcoholism is, how yeah, it works. Of course not. Addiction works. I didn't understand that until I was 33 years old and went to, to rehab myself. Did you have contact with her when she was in treatment? So I did for a little bit. And then I found out that she dropped out of rehab and she was living with another guy uh, that she also met in rehab. And um, a lot of terrible things happened when she was with that other guy. Um, abuse. And, you know, it was really bad. She was uh, on pills and cocaine and alcohol. And I, I stopped talking to her at that point. I want to say after about a year, I finally got on a call with her. And I remember this day because it's uh, when you have trauma, it's something that you, it's something that you remember forever. I got on a call with her. I was in sixth grade this time. I was living in a, a different house in Jupiter. And I remember getting on a phone call with her and I was, I was hysterically crying. I was begging her, please. I want to see you please come home. I want to see you. Please come home. Like sobbing, um, wailing, crying. I mean, I, you know, you haven't seen my mother in two, three years, you know, she's, she's, you know, she's a, she's a drug addict. Um, you're in pain. Your, your family's in shambles. She was like, no, uh, no, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to go home. I can't come home. I don't want to come home. I can't come home. And it was incredibly difficult. Uh, it was incredibly difficult to hear. And if I think about it today, it's it's still hard to think about, you know, but again, as I learned, you know, when you're a substance abuser, every single kind of um, parental instinct you have goes away. Yes. I mean, when you're in a, when you're an alcoholic and you're a substance abuser, uh, mom instincts don't exist. At this point, you, you, you try to rely on your other family to come together as a unit, but the opposite happened. That didn't happen. My, my whole family was in shambles. Um, there was fighting going on. Uh, there was disagreements. Um, there was bad relationships within my dad, my brother, and I's family. And I want to say after about a year, my aunt called me, Tammy. And she said to me, hey, Jack, you know, your mom has been sober for six, seven months. And we want you to come up to New Jersey and see her. She's been sober. I've been, I've been keeping an eye on her. We want you to come and see her. And my grandpa said, we should go up there and see her. We both haven't seen her in a while. You haven't really spoke to her in years, basically. And I was like, well, yeah, the last time I tried to speak to her, I was left crying on a bench. <laughs> right. <laughs> At 10 years old in the nighttime. But right. I was like, you know what? I'm, I want to go see her because it's good. And if she's sober, you know, I want to remember who my mom is again. And so I was around 12, 13 years old. We, we went up to New Jersey to see her and I was there two weeks before my brother got there. And for the two weeks that I was there, she was the mom that I remember, you know, it wasn't anything crazy. She was who I remember from when I was younger, really young. Like, but the minute that my brother showed, it went down a cliff. And I remember, I remember waking up the morning of my brother coming and my mom was just a completely different, a completely different person. She was, she was stumbling around. She was slurring her words. She was acting. And it, it was really difficult for me to, uh, to see that because I knew something was wrong. I knew something was going to go downhill. 
my aunt was around and she knew, she knew that there was something wrong too, that the, the second that that was happening. Yeah. But I mean, I think that she tried to talk to her and it didn't work, but the climax of this at the fourth, of, there was a 4th of July party. She's like, Hey, you know, we have a 4th of July party for our family up in New Jersey. Cause my mom's originally from New Jersey, just like I am. And I knew at this party, there was going to be a lot of booze. I'm like, Oh man, let's see where this goes. I got to the party and about 30 minutes in, I lost, I didn't know where my mom was. I was like, well, where's my mom? I was like, you know, where I went to my aunt, I went to my grandpa. I went to my, my great aunt, uh, Debbie. And I was like, you know, where's my mom? And they're like, we don't know. We have no idea. So I went to the neighbor's uh, house and there was a garage and she was sitting with a bunch of dudes and she had a bottle in her hand. And I, I just, I just walked out of there. And the next thing I know, 30 minutes later, she was doing tequila shots and go acting crazy on the roof. And she had to get restrained and she was thrown into the back of the car, taking a rehab. I didn't see her for four years. From to that party. It, to put it, to put it really blunt. Oh, wow. What happened after, after she was drinking, after I caught her drinking, maybe it was a form of guilt. Yeah. Um, started to go crazy. She started, she went to the bar and started to do shots and vodka and she was hammered within about an hour. I couldn't believe it. She was forcefully taken into to treatment. Yeah, so she wanted to see us. We didn't want to see her. I remember going inside the house and my aunt was in tears and I was in tears and my brother was in tears and we were all crying. And I remember my aunt saying, why can't she just be normal? Why, why does she have to do this to herself? And I, it was it was difficult. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how else to explain. You know, I mean, six years later, you know, time heals wounds, but you know, you suffer from trauma every day and you, you think about it. It's difficult. And, um, she tried and she wanted to hug me and say, I love you, Jack. I love you, Jack. And I was like, I, I don't want to hear it. You know, you just don't want to hear it. And that's like, some people don't know what some people don't, some people, you know, might listen to this and be like, Oh, come on. You know, your mom's trying to give you a hug and love you, accept her for her flaws, but they don't fully understand the amount of mental abuse that you take on when you have a parent that's an alcoholic. Yeah. Or you have an alcoholic in your family. It's incredibly difficult. And then nothing was ever the same. And it still isn't the same. The next few years were, were just as difficult. No one loves a son like a mother loves a son. And so when you lose that kind of emotion and that kind of understanding, you know, uh, a lot of mothers provide uh, a glue to a family, an emotional support system. And I want to be a father who does that. And I did not get that. My, my family, my family didn't have that. Um, the loss of my mother was a catalyst for the next three, four years of, of bad family drama and bad family turmoil between um, my dad and my brother, um, my dad and I, my dad, my brother and I, it wasn't easy. My dad was under stress from being a single parent. I mean, who wouldn't be under stress from being a single parent? You got two kids in school. You know, it's, it's difficult. School was my escape. And luckily I went to a Jewish day school called the uh, Meyer Academy. Thank God for Meyer Academy. It was like, it was like a family. Um, don't know what, I don't know where I'd be without it. It was like a family. They all took me in and they accepted me for what happened to me. And uh, thank God for that. You know, and that was basically it. You know, that's basically my childhood um, abuse, uh, alcoholic abuse. Um, my family was in shambles. So you said that you spoke to your mother last year. I was skeptical about it. And I reached out to a person that had a similar experience, Rodney. He's like my best friend. Um, Rodney had a father who left him. And I was like, listen, 
um, I need your advice. Do I go and meet with, with my mother? Because I still have some hard feelings and I'm not entirely sure how to do this. You know, it's really going to be difficult for me. I was abused a lot. And so you're like, you know, you're not sure if you want to go and face your sure. problems. I think, I think a big problem that happens is facing an issue is really difficult. Facing trauma head on is really difficult. I only got one biological mother in the world, you know, right. and you know, what am I going to do? She wasn't the best mother to me. It doesn't mean I can't be the best son to her. Yeah. During the time that I didn't talk to her four years, she got remarried and had another kid, which was hard. You that, know, yeah, that's because that's... you're made to not feel good enough. And you're told that you don't want to be, that you don't want to be taken care of anymore, whether it's meant or not. And then you go and have another kid. It was incredibly difficult for me to, to understand. At the yeah. time you're thinking, why was I not good enough? You know, and so you take that along with you. After she went to rehab after the 4th of July party, did she stay sober for those four no. years? No. She what didn't if- stay sober until she had her kid. Okay. I, I don't think you grow unless you experience a pain and you learn from it. I agree. And so basically I met, I tried to contact her and the first time and she said, I can't meet with you. I'm not ready yet. I just had a kid and I can't, I can't meet with you. I don't want to jeopardize my sobriety. I was like, okay, you know what? I respect that. Sure. You contact me when you want to talk to me. Sure. She contacted me in July and I was like, you know what? I'm going to talk to her. So we, we met up in a park in South, in South Florida, South of where, uh, South of where I lived. It was a lot different of an experience for her than it was for me. She was crying a lot. I don't know how, I don't know how I don't cry. I, I didn't cry. I think you can push it away at a certain point. And I think you know how to control it. You've cried so much, you know how to kind of control certain situations. Yeah. And it's not, it's not, not to say that I didn't cry afterwards. I mean, I, I remember going to a Shabbat service and people were like praying and I was bawling my eyes out that next Friday. So it's not yeah. like I didn't cry. Yeah. I just held it off to where I could be in a little less vulnerable environment. Yeah. You were protecting yourself. Exactly. Right. Protect- and, and the a huge thing with, with trauma is that, and PTSD, which I, yeah. I have, 100%. Is that, and you want to protect yourself. Yes. Because your mental health is at stake. And a lot of people don't understand that. And it's, it's hard to understand if you don't live it. But having PTSD, controlling yourself and being able to understand this is what triggers me. This is what's going to take my mental health off a deep end. You can get in really, really bad headspaces if you let yourself get into some environments. And so it was... that's why I have a lot of boundaries, especially as an 18 year old that I, that, that I have for my personal life, because I need to protect myself from certain things. And I'm, I don't, I don't want to be vulnerable to my, to my trauma. You know, I've faced it head on and, and, and I'm trying to grow from, but the last thing you want to do is be vulnerable and, and purposely put yourself uh, into a bad spot. My mom took it a lot different. She, she was crying a lot and I'm sure, I mean, it was emotional for her. She was sober. She was sober. I could tell she was sober. She didn't smell like alcohol. She was acting completely like what I remember from my early life. She was sober. If, if emotions determine your decision-making, you're probably not going to make good decisions and not, you're not really going to get anything out of it. And so you have to be logical and you have to, you, you have to have a good head on your shoulders and be able to be like, listen, I need to rationalize, control my emotions here and get something out of this. Cause if you just stand there and hysterically cry, which I probably could have done, 
then what do you get out of it? Right. You're just crying with your mom. Like you need to be able to sit there and talk and it's difficult, but you need to be able to do it. You know, she admitted to a lot of her mistakes and I admitted to some of the things I could have done better. And, um, you know, it was a hard, it was a hard thing. And I want to say about three months after that, I started to notice signs of developing PTSD, which for people that don't know is post-traumatic stress disorder, which you might uh, equate with people in service or military, but uh, it does happen with any kind of trauma. You can have sexual abuse, PTSD, you can have um, any kind of trauma. You can have uh, abandonment, PT- abandonment trauma, yeah. which is what I have. Uh, it's difficult. And you need to be careful about certain situations you get put, you put yourself into, especially when it comes to alcohol, especially being 18. Um, it's difficult. You know, it was for the better that I did it. And I've met with her a few times since then. And it's very, it's very cordial. It's, it's, it's nothing, you know, mom, I love you. You know, yeah. it's nothing. I love you, mom, because at the end of the day, I love, I do love her and who doesn't love their mom, but certain things are not going to change what happened. Right. And no matter what's going to happen, there's always still going to be some sort of hard feelings there, you know, and in Judaism and in, in, uh, in Jewish studies for forgiveness is a huge component. Mm -hmm. And, you know, everyone says the saying of forgive, but never forget. And, you know, I was able to, uh, to forgive, but I'm I'm not going to forget what happened to me. And, um, you know, that's basically, and that's basically, you know, my, my mom and I's relationship, thank God that she's still alive and thank God that I get to talk to her once a month, but it's, you know, it's, it's not, it's not ever going to be what it was. And that's something that I feel like some people can relate to is when something happens between you and your parents, you know, not, not anything is going to bring it back to what it was. If it's something that serious, you know, I had to learn, I had to learn a lot on my own. You know, I didn't have, you know, my, my dad luckily taught me a lot about life. Thank God. And I love my father for that, but I had to, you know, uh, I didn't have a mom tell me when I was going on my first date with a girl yeah. that I looked good. You know, I had to, I had to convince myself that I looked good. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. you know, I didn't have a, I didn't have a mom teach me how to dress. I had to go onto Pinterest and look at, and look, look at some guys in, uh, in the city and learn how to dress. You know, it's, yeah. you need to yeah. learn a lot of things by yourself when you don't have a mother figure. First of all, I can't believe you're only 18. You're so wise beyond your years. And I think it probably comes Appreciate from, that. yeah, just life well, trauma. And yeah, <laughs> exactly. But how do you, you know, we talked a little bit about the younger generation and how mm. y- you sort of understand what the consequences of this party lifestyle can turn into. Exactly. And, but how do you interact with your peers without being involved in, I guess, that lifestyle? Well, let like I say, you know, there's always uh, groups of people who do different things. Now, I want to say most young people drink and that's okay. But most young people don't make a personality out of drinking. So they want to do other things. So, hey, you know, why don't we go and uh, why, why don't we go and work out? Why don't we go to the gym? Why don't we go play basketball? Why don't we go, you know, and if you want to see if, if I want to go out with the girl, let, let, let's go to dinner. Let's let's go many, you know, there's other things to do. And um, you just need to find your people at college. It's hard to find that, that group of people that don't want to drink because a lot of, a lot of, a lot of things in college is trying to find yourself. Um, and a lot of ways that you find yourself and make friends is by going to bars 
and joining a frat and joining a sorority and frats and sororities aren't all drinking. It's not all they do, but it's a big culture, you know, drinking in frats and sororities is a big concept of it. For sure. It is. And yes, they, yes, they do charitable work and the people in there are nice people. You know, I'm not denying that they're very nice people. I just don't think that they understand the certain consequences of the drinking. And like my mom found out she was an alcoholic. I later found out when she was 17. She took one drink and found out she was an alcoholic. She said it hit her throat, it burned, and she loved it. And she had she had to drink more and she kept drinking and she threw up into a cup next to her and then kept drinking. And it was at a party when she was 17. You know, especially in today's day and age with the alcohol market and the way that big alcohol and the alcohol industry, it now advertises, you know, now we have a seltzer for every single, every single big uh, brand. Yeah, and every it's colorful, brand, every well, flavor. It's, well, it's colorful and it looks appetizing and it yeah. looks like it tastes like Sprite. Yeah. And, you know, it's cherry flavored and watermelon flavor. Right. You know, so now, I mean, there are kids I know were 14 and they're drinking, 15 yep. and they're drinking, you know, drinking responsibly and understanding the consequences of heavy drinking and making it a lifestyle is really important. And, you know, I think that especially at college, when people are young and people kind of are still struggling to find themselves and they, some people try to find themselves and being accepted by other people, but those other people that are accepting you are also still trying to find themselves. And by still trying to find themselves, they all drink. And that's a dangerous path. It's a, it's a really dangerous path to, uh, to addiction and addiction is going up every year. You know, we have the population of Texas and addicts in, in the United States. That's a huge stat, you know, one stat. in, one in nine Americans are alcoholics. That's a huge stat. You know, young adult binge drinking is becoming a culture um, more so than it was 40 years ago, because we have much more, uh, I want to say much more appetizing. Uh, and I say that with quotes, yeah. much more appetizing options like a truly or a, or a white claw. You know, it's sad to see um, some of my peers that go down that route and, uh, you know, but as long as they stay responsible and they can control it later in life, that's all that matters because they are good people. It was a blessing in disguise that I had it handed to me on a silver platter. Um, don't drink. <laughs> it's so important. And I, I just applaud you for realizing that and taking that step and your life will be so much better without it. I thank you so much for sharing this perspective and perhaps other children of addicts or alcoholics will hear something that will yeah. you know spark something that that they need to hear so 100 percent. and yeah. if anyone if anyone listens to this that's that's the son of an alcoholic or the daughter of an alcoholic you have alcoholic problems alcohol is not the way out of it um no alcohol is the way out of it um you know just be patient and stay strong just you know just every day just Keep having faith, uh, faith in God, faith in yourself, faith in something, you know, just keep having faith that everything is going to be okay. And uh, just, you know, find, find a few people that you can rely on for support, stick with them and, um, you know, just, just have help and be faithful. Jack, thanks so much for your time today. Thanks Thank for you sharing so much your story. For, for allowing me to speak. Thank you, Nate. I appreciate it a lot. Wow. Such an important story to tell and a different perspective here on the podcast. So Thank you so much, Jack, for sharing. Thank you for listening. Hopefully you heard something you can resonate with today. And if we help just one person, our job is done. 
You can find all things podcast related and subscribe to our show at the sobrietydiaries.com, youtube.com slash Nate Kelly, where we upload today's video podcast and on Instagram at the sobriety diaries pod. Check back soon for new episodes with new stories to tell. But until then, try your best not to drink and be good to yourself. Bye, friends.